What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Miller. So last night was the start of the NBA season with the Lakers playing the Nuggets. The Nuggets got the win in that one, and then the Suns beat the Warriors in the other game. And so in this episode, I'm going to give a preview of the entire season. I'll give you a breakdown for my win-loss record predictions for every team. I'll also give a breakdown from all of my awards, who I think is going to win the MVP, Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and all that. I'll also be breaking down my NBA playoffs predictions, which I know we got a long way to go, but going to give a breakdown from before the season begins, where I think each team will stand in the playoffs when April rolls around. So let's start off with my win-loss record predictions of every team. I'm going to break down every single team and talk about each one of them individually. But before doing that, I'm just going to give a rundown of every single team starting in the Eastern Conference, and then I'll get into the Western Conference. So I have the Celtics as the number one seed in the East at 56 and 26. Next up, I have the Cavs as the second seed in the East. Hot take over the Bucks, but I like the Cavs a lot this year. I have them at 52 and 30. Then I have the Bucks at 51 and 31. I have the Sixes at 45 and 37. I have the Knicks at 43 and 39. The Miami Heat at 42 and 40. The Indiana Pacers at 41 and 41. The Brooklyn Nets at 40 and 42. Then I have the Chicago Bulls as the ninth seed, so a play-in team there at 39-43. And then I also have the Atlanta Hawks as the 10 team, so the last team making it into the play-in tournament. So in this play-in tournament, it would be the Indiana Pacers going up against the Brooklyn Nets, then the Bulls going up against the Hawks, then the loser of that Indiana Pacers-Brooklyn Nets game would face the winner of the Bulls-Hawks game. And then after that, right below the play-in tournament, I have the Charlotte Hornets as the 11th seed in the East at 36-46. and The Toronto Raptors at 35-47. The Orlando Magic at 34 and 48. I have the Detroit Pistons at 31 and 51. And I have the Washington Wizards at 21 and 61. Now going over to the Western Conference, I have the Nuggets as the one seed at 53 and 29. I have the Phoenix Suns at 49 and 33. I have the Los Angeles Clippers at 48 and 34. The Sacramento Kings at 47 and 35. The Golden State Warriors at 47 and 35. I have the Kings having the tiebreaker over them, though. Then I have the Minnesota Timbers at 46 and 36. I have the Lakers at 46 and 36. I think the Timbers have the tiebreaker over them. I think the Timbers finished higher than the Lakers this year in the West. Then I have the Oklahoma City Thunder at 43 and 39. I have the Utah Jazz at 42 and 40. Surprise team there. I'll get into them and talk more about them in just a minute, but I'm a big fan of the Utah Jazz this season. I think they have a very underrated future in the NBA. Next up, we have the Houston Rockets at 41 and 41. Yet again, another team that I'm very high on this season. I think the Rockets and the Jazz are going to surprise some people this season, and I think they both make the play-in tournament. We'll see how they do in the play-in tournament, but I think they will both face off in the play-in tournament as the 9 and 10 seeds in the West. After that, just missing the play-in tournament, I have the Memphis Grizzlies at 40 and 42. Then I have the Dallas Mavericks at 39-43, the New Orleans Pelicans at 38-44, the Portland Trailblazers at 24-58, and the San Antonio Spurs at 23-59. So that's a breakdown of every team where I think they will be win-loss record-wise overall this season. So now let me break down each team individually. And I'll talk about each one very briefly. I'm going to go pretty quick here since I don't really have too much time, and I know the games will be starting tonight, so I want to get this out beforehand. But as the number one team in the East, I have the Boston Celtics at 56-26. and 26. They just extended Jalen Brown to a massive record-breaking extension this summer. Five years, $304 million, A big Supermax deal for him. They also gave an extension recently, though, to Peyton Pritchard. Four years, $30 million, which I thought was an overpay to some degree for a guy that really hasn't got too many minutes per game over the last couple seasons in the regular season, then especially in the playoffs. But we'll see if his role does increase this season. The Celtics really only have one true point cut on the roster, and that's Drew Holiday. So I'd imagine Peyton Pritchard will get some more minutes this season. And hopefully he does, considering he got four years, $30 million, I'd imagine the Celtics anticipate him getting more minutes this year. But one thing I want to mention was the Drew Holiday trade, which I really never talked about too much. But the Celtics sent two first-round picks, Robert Williams and Malcolm Brogdon, to Portland in exchange for Drew Holiday. I think this was a great trade for the Celtics to counter the Damian Lillard trade to Milwaukee. And you add a point guard, which the Celtics had a glaring hole at point guard with Marcus Smart being gone. They have needed a true point guard, though, to lead the offense the last couple of years. Marcus Smart really wasn't a true point guard, wasn't really a playmaking point guard that would, you know, be a floor general. And I'd say Drew Holiday is a better defender than Marcus Smart. 
And I know Marcus Smart's a great defensive player, defensive player of the year he won before, but I think if you look at Drew Holiday and Marcus Smart, I think Drew Holiday's just slightly better defensively. I think he's probably the best defensive guard in the NBA. And then you also add in Drew Holiday's a better playmaking point guard, a better scorer, and a better shooter than Marcus Smart. One thing you can't take away from Marcus Smart though, is how much heart and hustle he does add to that Celtics team when he was there. He was the heart and soul of the Boston Celtics. It's really hard to not see him in a Celtics uniform this season, but from... The standpoint of who's the better player, I think Drew Holiday's the better player, and that's why I think this was a good trade for the Boston Celtics. I was going to have the Milwaukee Bucks as the number one seed in the East after that Damian Lillard trade, but after the Celtics added Drew Holiday, I think they have the edge over Milwaukee. I really do. Drew Holiday's an absolute game-changing piece, and I think he makes the Celtics better than the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Celtics were really aggressive this offseason. Adding in Drew Holiday was obviously a great piece, and then also adding in Kristaps Porzingis. You still got Jalen Brown. You still got Jason Tatum. I mean, this roster is ready to go right now. This roster is ready to go right now. And they also added some bench pieces as well. Svi Mikhailuk, who I like a lot. I think Mikhailuk is a very underrated player. And then O'Shea Brissett. Two solid bench pieces. I think Mikhailuk could probably be a very underrated piece to that Celtics bench. And I became a fan of him last season when I was watching some of the Pacers games at the end of the year. He could be a good shooter for the Celtics off the bench. But I think the biggest move for the Celtics, I think it's Drew Holiday. Because the Celtics didn't have a real point guard on the roster, I think Derek White is more of a two-guard than a number one. He's not really a point guard. He's more of a shooting guard. So when you add in a guy like Drew Holiday, that's a game-changing piece. That's a game-changing piece. And the Celtics lost a lot of their great defensive players. Marcus Smart was traded. Grant Williams is gone. Now he's in Dallas. And then Robert Williams was traded in that trade with Malcolm Brogdon to get Drew Holiday in Boston. So the Celtics lost their three best defensive players from last season. Smart, Williams, and Williams. I think they're putting all of their eggs into one basket. With an injury-prone Kristaps Porzingis, who, when he is healthy, I mean, he is great. He had a great season last year, but you have to bank on him being healthy. And then also on old man Al Horford, which Horford was good last season for the Celtics, but he is getting old. You don't really want to put too much pressure on him to be that guy in the paint anymore for the Celtics. I think that's why they went and got Kristaps Porzingis. But the Celtics are putting all their eggs in the basket of making sure Porzingis and Horford stay healthy. And Porzingis was great last season. He definitely helps stretch the floor, drags opponents out beyond the ox, so... The paint's wide open for guys to drive down the lane since whoever's guarding him has to be covering him at the three-point line since he's a good three-point shooter. And if you look at his numbers last season, he played 65 games, which is great for him. Averaged 19.9 points, 7.9 rebounds, 1.5 blocks per game, 0.9 steals per game. And he did all of that in 65 games of action. He only missed 17 games last season, which is great for him. If you look at what he did in the prior two seasons before that, the previous two years before that year, he missed 60 games between the 2020-2021 season in the 2021-2022 season. He missed 60 games between those two years. Last season, only missed 17 games, which is huge. And the Celtics need him to stay healthy. If he stays healthy, this Celtics team is the best overall team in the East. If he's not healthy, I think the Milwaukee Bucks have the edge on them in the paint. Because it's going to be tough to stop Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's great. It's still going to be tough, even with Chris Epsposing as healthy. But having him to rim protect is huge for this Celtics team. And when he is healthy, I mean, he's one of the best shot-blocking bigs in the league. He averaged one and a half blocks last season. But he needs to stay healthy. But if you look at this team, this Celtics team is going all in right now. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they're still looking for an NBA Finals ring. And I think this year is ring a bust for the Celtics team. They need it this year, or who knows if they'll ever get it, if they don't get it this year. This year is the year for the Celtics to win. So the next team up in the East, I have the Cleveland Cavaliers at 52-30. They were the slowest-paced team in the NBA last season, and they were average from three-point land. But I'm hoping they're better this year after adding Max Struess and George Niang. Two better three-point shooters than what they had last season. Struess averaged 37% from three. Niang was around 40% from three. And I'm very high on Donovan Mitchell. So if you add in two guys that can score better from three, 
Struess and Yang, two better three-point shooters, which Cleveland did struggle shooting the ball last season. And then hopefully have Darius Garland fully healthy and have Donovan Mitchell, who I think is going to be an MVP candidate this year, going off every single game. If they have Donovan Mitchell going off every game, which I think he's going to be high scoring this year, I think he's going to be right up there for the scoring title. I think the sky is the limit for this Cleveland Cavaliers team. Which the Celtics are the favorite in the East. I know the Milwaukee Bucks are second. But I think this Cavaliers team is going to be right there with them. I really do. I'm really high on Donovan Mitchell. I think he's going to have a huge season. And I really like the young core that Cleveland has built through the lottery. Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Isaac Okoro. They also have some other pieces as well. Karis LeVert. And then Jared Allen. Jared Allen is hurt to start the season. But they have so much talent there. A lot of young talent as well. And last season was a tough exit for them. Losing in five games to the Knicks, that was a surprise to me. I was very high in the Cavaliers last season. But I think this is the year they start to build and they win a playoff series. Maybe win two. We'll see when I get to my player predictions and how I feel about them. I'll let you know in just a few minutes at the end of the episode. But I think this year is going to be a big year for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And a big reason for that is because I think Donovan Mitchell is going to be the MVP of the NBA this season. Which, we'll get to those predictions at the end. But I'll spoil it for you right now. I have Donovan Mitchell as my MVP this year. I think he's going to win the MVP this season. So next up, as the third overall seed in the East, I have the Milwaukee Bucks at 51-31. and They just signed Giannis Antetokounmpo to a new extension. He got a three-year, $186 million deal. There was some controversy about him potentially leaving, but he ended up staying and signing a deal before the season even began. And I think if you look at this Bucks team, they chose offense over defense. They traded away Drew Holiday in exchange for Damian Lillard, which is a great deal considering Damian Lillard is one of the best players in the NBA, one of the best closes in the NBA. I mean, in clutch time, Damian Lillard's one of the best in the league. If I need a big shot late in the game, Damian Lillard might be the guy. He might be the guy. But I did think that with that trade, getting Damian Lillard in exchange for Drew Holiday, I think they did prioritize offense over defense. Which, who's more of a scary duo? Is it Giannis Antetokounmpo and Drew Holiday or Giannis and Damian Lillard? I'm going to go with Giannis and Damian Lillard because they're two great offensive players and that's the way the NBA is trending. The NBA is trending towards offense. So I think this deal was a great move for the Milwaukee Bucks. Even though Drew Holiday was a big piece of them and obviously helped them win an NBA Finals, the first in their franchise history, when you can get a guy like Damian Lillard, you sometimes have no option but to go and make that move. And I think it might work out for them. I really do. I think this team's going to be right there with the Celtics contending for the East, which I know a lot of people already have that. That's really not a hot take. But I think this Bucs team's going to be dangerous. But they do need their guys to stay healthy. They need Damian Lillard healthy, and they need Giannis Antetokounmpo healthy. Because those two guys, the whole entire team and their fate, are in the hands of Giannis Antetokounmpo and Damian Lillard. They need those two guys to be healthy, and the sky might be the limit for this team. So I really like the top three in the East. I'm very high on all three of those teams, Boston, Cleveland, Milwaukee. It's going to be a fun season to watch. Next up, we have the fourth overall seed in the East, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers. I have them at 45-37. One big question looms around them. What will happen with James Harden? At the start of the summer, he exercised his option for this season, and then after that, he followed it up with a trade request. And following that, even more down the line, he went on record saying Daryl Morey is a liar and he will never be a part of an organization that Daryl Morey is a part of. And now, according to reports today, he did try to show up to the Sixers team bus, try to make it on their road trip to begin the season in hopes of gearing up over the next week to play. After a summer of chaos, he needed time to gear up and get ready to play. But he was just sent home today, which I don't really know what's going to happen there. He was going to miss around $380,000 a game, I believe, if he were to not play in each game this season, he would lose 385000 a year or something like that per game he'd miss. But what's going to happen now that the Sixers sent him home and it wasn't his decision because now he wanted to go on the road trip? What's going to happen there? And I know a big trade room around the summer 
was what's going to happen with the Clippers? Are they going to make a trade for James Harden? Will a trade to the Clippers happen for James Harden, which James Harden has wanted now over the last three or four months? But here's the thing. As a Clippers fan, the most I would give up is Norman Powell, Nick Batum, Marcus Morris, and two first-round picks. I know the Sixers want Terrence Mann and or Bones Highland in first-round picks as well. But the way things seem right now, the Clippers are reluctant to deal Bones Highland. They don't want to deal Terrence Mann either. And they don't want to give up any first-round picks. But the way I see it is if I'm getting James Harden and I don't have to give up Bones Highland or Terrence Mann and in return Philly wants a couple first-round picks, I'm sending those two first-round picks. And I know a lot of people, a lot of fans are going to have different opinions on that, which I understand. Sometimes you want to build to the future. Sometimes you want to win for right now. I think the Clippers' window to win is right now. And I think once Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are gone, if they were to leave after the season's over, that's a Clippers' window ending, and they're going to have to wait a good amount of time until they can compete again and contend for a title. So that's why I'd go all in for James Harden. But I wouldn't want to give up Bones Highland to Terrence Mann. I think a starting lineup, though, of Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Evita Zubats would be elite, and I think that would be the best starting lineup in the NBA. I'd love to see it. But I don't want to give up Terrence Mann to Bones Highland. Terrence Mann's great defensively, and he compliments the Clippers very well. Off the bench, he adds hustle, adds hot, and has had a good amount of big games for the Clippers over his time there. And I know he's going to be in the starting lineup. According to Ty Lue, he's going to miss the game tonight, though, with an ankle injury, unfortunately. But he's going to be back at some point. He'll be in the starting lineup. And considering he's going to be in the starting lineup, I don't think the Clippers want to send him away. I really don't. And then as for Bones Highland, I think he's a candidate for a most improved player award winner this season. And I think he has a big, bright future in the NBA. I don't really want to give him up either. But if I can give up two first-round picks instead of giving up Terrence Mann to Bones Highland, I'm a fan of doing that. I am. And if you look at the Sixers team, which I know I just went on a rant about James Harden, they did add Kelly Oubre to a nice deal, one year, three million. The same goes for Patrick Beverly, one year, three million. Two under-the-radar additions to their lineup. And they also signed Paul Reed to an extension, three years, 24 million. And if you look at this team right now, they're built to contend in the East right now. They're built to contend to win an NBA Finals, especially with Joel Embiid in the prime of his career. He just won the MVP last season. And obviously you have Tyrese Maxey, a rising star in the NBA. And if they have James Harden, that's the best facilitator in the NBA last season. Led the NBA in assists per game last year. They're really building their team around James Harden being there right now to try to win. And if James Harden isn't there, my expectations for the Sixers are lower than it would be if James Harden were to be there. If James Harden's there, I think they're capable of 48-49 wins. Without James Harden... And who knows if he's going to be there at all this season. But right now, with the question mark around him of whether or not he's going to play, I have the Sixers at fourth in the East at 45 wins. Which, if James Harden isn't there, they could be low in that. They could be around 42-43 wins. But I'm banking on him being there maybe at some point to start the season. But with him being sent home today, when I made these predictions about two or three days ago when I wrote down all my win-loss record predictions, this was banking on James Harden being there to start the season, which there were reports he was going to be there with him to start the year. We just missed maybe the first game or two. Now with James Harden probably not being there, at least for the first week of the year, I don't know if he's going to play at all for the Sixers. Maybe a trade's going to be happening sooner than we think. But are the Clippers going to go out there and are they going to give up Bones Highland to Terrence Mann? I don't think so. But this Sixers team is built right now to win. You have Joel Embiid in the prime of his career, the MVP last year, and he needs some help around him. He obviously wants James Harden there. Why wouldn't you want James Harden? James Harden was great for them last season. Even though he had a tough game seven, he's a big reason that series even got to seven games. With Joel Embiid banged up for part of that series, he stepped up big for them. And they also have Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey. I mean, that team can compete right now in the East. But what's going to happen with James Harden? That's a big question mark. And we all know Joel Embiid wants to win right now. He's made it very clear. He's sick and tired of losing in the playoffs. He wants to win in NBA Finals. And if they don't find a way to get some talent around him that can help him win right now, maybe he requests a trade at some point. 
And I know every team in the NBA would probably ask what the asking price would be for Joel Embiid, considering how good he is, especially when he's on. He's in the prime of his career right now. I'm sure every team would be interested in adding him, and I know he wants to win. So it's going to really come down to that. And there's some pressure on the Sixers' front office to build around him so he can win right now. Next up, we have the New York Knicks as the five seed in the East at 43-39. and 39. I like the Knicks' core. They got Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, Jalen Brunson. They surprised me in the playoffs last year, beating the Cavaliers, which I've already mentioned now. They also have Quinton Grimes, who was a great three-point shooter for them last year. He'll probably have a good role this year as well. And they also had the sixth man of the year runner-up last year. I believe, if I remember right, it was Emmanuel Quickly. And he could be the guy that wins the sixth man of the year this year. He was very close last year to winning it and ended up going to Malcolm Brogdon of the Celtics. But he was right there in the mix, potentially, to win it last season. And one thing about the Knicks is that they're a very strong defensive team, which can make it hard on their opponents. Mitchell Roberts is a guy that's great in the paint as a rim protector. I think he'll have a bigger year this year than he had last. Doesn't really add too much to the offensive end since he doesn't really take too many shots besides maybe a lob threat or just a quick, you know, hook right by the rim. But he's very good defensively, and he adds a lot to that team. And one thing that was with him last year was I think he was hurt at one point in the year, so can he stay healthy? I think this Knicks team is dangerous. I mean, they do play hard. They play physical. And if A.J. Barrett can figure out his shooting woes, which he struggled for a good amount of last season shooting the ball, but he had a couple spurts where he was really good shooting the ball, if he can figure that out, and force teams to defend him at the three. I mean, this team can be dangerous. I think it was the five seed, but I think the Knicks are an underrated team in the East considering how good the top of the three teams are. I think it's really those three right there right, that I already named. I think it's Celtics, Cavs, and then the Milwaukee Bucks. After that, I mean, the Knicks could be right there, right outside of those three. So my plan for this episode is to go team by team here in the East and the West and give a synopsis of each team's offseason, what they look like, what their starting lineup will look like, and maybe some pieces to pay attention to. But I think that'd be too long of an episode with the predictions for the playoffs alongside all my predictions for the awards. So I think I'm going to make this episode that I have right now a combination of the win-loss record predictions with my playoff predictions and my awards predictions and my hot takes. And then in a separate episode... I'll go team by team like I already did for the first four or five teams in the East. So let me give you my playoff predictions. So let me give you the seedings. In the East, the ones, the Celtics, the twos, the Cavaliers, the threes, the Bucks, the fours, the sixes, five is the Knicks, six is the Miami Heat, seven is Indiana, eight is Brooklyn, nine is Chicago, and 10 is Atlanta. And then in the West, we have the Denver Nuggets at one, Phoenix at two, LA Clippers at three, Sacramento at four, Golden State Warriors at five, LA Lakers at six, Minnesota Timberwolves at seven. Oklahoma City Thunder at 8, Utah Jazz at 9, and Houston Rockets at 10. For the play-in tournament, we have the Paces going up against the Nets, 7 versus 8 seed there. And then we have the Bulls going up against the Hawks, 9 versus 10. I like the Paces over the Nets for the 7th seed. And then I like the Hawks over the Bulls. And then in the last play-in game, I like the Nets over the Hawks for the 8th seed in the East. So no surprises there. The 7th and the 8th seed stays the same in the East in the play-in tournament. Then in the West, we have the Timberwolves as the 7th seed. The Oklahoma City Thunder as the eight. Those two teams going at it. And then we have the Utah Jazz as a 9th seed. The Houston Rockets as a 10. I like the Timberwolves over the Thunder for the 7th seed. And then I like the Jazz over the Rockets. And for the last playing game, I like the Jazz over the Thunder for the 8th seed in an upset there. So my playoff predictions in the Eastern Conference quarterfinals, we have the Celtics over the Nets in five games. The 1 versus 8 seeds there. Cavaliers versus the Paces. I like the Cavaliers over the Paces in 6. Then we have the Bucks, the 3 seed over the Miami Heat 6 seed. In seven games, the Miami Heat are a six seed. They were dangerous last year as an eight seed. We'll see what they look like this year. They did lose some pieces like Max Struess, like Gabe Vincent. But I like the Bucks over the Heat in seven games. And then we have the Knicks, the five seed in the East, over the sixes, the fourth seed in the East in six games. And then in the Eastern Conference semifinals, we have the Celtics over the Knicks in six games. 
the Bucks over the Cavs in seven games, which I was teetering back and forth between the Bucks and Cavs here. But I ended up going with the Bucks in seven, which I really wanted to go Cavs in seven. I think I had Cavs in seven for the last day or so before I recorded this episode. But I changed it to Bucks in seven, and that's just because I look at Damian Lillard and I look at Giannis Antetokounmpo, and if they're both healthy, it'll be really hard for that Cavs team to keep up with them scoring-wise. And I think the Cavs are going to have a very good year this year. But when you have Giannis and Dame in the same team, it's going to be a high-scoring game every game. It's going to be hard to stop those two. So I went Bucks over Cavs in seven. And then in the Eastern Conference semifinals, I have the Celtics over the Bucks in seven. The Western Conference quarterfinals, I like the Nuggets over the Jazz in six. One versus eight seeds there. Then we got the Timberwolves over the Suns in seven. A big upset there, a big hot take. But I like the Minnesota Timberwolves over the Suns in this matchup. I think the Suns could struggle this season, especially with the size of the Timberwolves in this matchup. I think the Suns are going to be a very good team, especially in the regular season. But they're putting a lot of pressure on their guys to stay healthy. That big three, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, those guys have to stay healthy. And they really don't have the size to really keep up with that Minnesota lineup. So I think Minnesota would be a tough matchup there for Phoenix. And I want to say Minnesota would be a higher seed than seven. But I didn't want them playing the Clippers in the first round. The Clippers had the three seed, so I made them the seven seed rather than the six. I think I had them at the six originally. I put them at the seven instead since I didn't want them facing the Clippers in the first round. I think Minnesota's going to win a playoff series, and I think the Clippers are going to go far. So in order to do that, the Minnesota Timberwolves had to be the seven seed so I could have them beating the Suns rather than playing the Clippers in the first round. The next matchup, we have the Clippers over the Lakers, the three seed versus the six seed. I have the Clippers over the Lakers in six. We get the four Sacramento Kings versus the five Golden State Warriors. I like the Kings over the Warriors in seven here. It's a rematch from last year's playoffs. The Warriors won that series in seven. I like Sacramento to get a win this year in seven against them. The Western Conference semifinals with the Nuggets over the Kings in six. And then I'll have the Clippers over the T-Wolves in six games as well. The Western Conference semifinals, it would come down to the Clippers and the Nuggets. Give me the Clippers over the Nuggets in seven. This relies on the Clippers staying fully healthy. If the Clippers stay fully healthy, if Paul George and Kawhi Leonard can fully stay healthy this season and be ready in the playoffs, I think the Clippers are the best team in the West. They're the most dangerous team in the West if those guys can stay healthy. And I know that's a big ask, asking Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to stay healthy, but it's not like they're asking to get hurt. They've just had bad luck. And if they can stay healthy, the rest of the NBA has to watch out. My finals matchup, I have the Clippers versus the Celtics, giving the Clippers over the Celtics in seven games. I think that would be a great finals matchup and one I'm really looking forward to if that were to be the case. Another finals matchup, like I did for the NHL and the NFL, I give another matchup that I'd like to potentially see. I like the Clippers over the Celtics. That's my real prediction. But a fun matchup would be Cavaliers versus the Kings. I like the Cavaliers over the Kings in that one. And then a big favorite a lot of people are mentioning. A lot of people like Milwaukee. A lot of people like Denver. Both of those teams could potentially maybe match up in the NBA Finals. I know a lot of people like to see Milwaukee versus Phoenix, a rematch from the NBA Finals a few years ago. I think Bucks versus Nuggets, though, would be a better matchup, a fun one to watch, probably the best matchup maybe to watch, considering if Giannis Antetokounmpo going up against Nikola Jokic, that would be a fun series to watch. But as for my real prediction, I'm going to clip his over the Celtics in seven games. So now for my NBA awards. For the MVP, I like Donovan Mitchell a lot. I think when you look at that Cavs team, I expect very big things from them this season. I think they're going to be right there at the top of the East. And most of the time, the MVP comes from a team that's one of the top teams in their respective conference. So I like Donovan Mitchell a lot this season. I think he's going to be right up there for the scoring title, giving him for MVP. As for runner-up, I like Anthony Edwards. If you look at him last year in the playoffs, he averaged 35 points per game in the last four playoff games last year for Minnesota versus Denver. He was unstoppable in those games. And if you look at what he did this summer for Team USA at the World Cup, he led the U.S. in scoring at 18.9 points per game, also averaged 4.6 rebounds per game, 2.8 2.8 assists per game and 1.1 steals per game, giving Anthony Edwards as the runner-up. And then a dark horse to watch out for is Paul George. 
I think he's worth a consideration for the MVP, considering how good and smooth he is when healthy. Paul George is one of the best players in the NBA when healthy. I like him to be a dark horse MVP candidate to monitor and watch out for this season. And I'm going to update this tracker probably along the whole way during the season. I'll probably give an update, an MVP ladder every single couple weeks, say who's the top three to five candidates. I'll probably do that for MVP, probably do some power rankings along the way as well, you know, teams-wise in the East and West. But right now, the way things stand, I think Paul George is one of the best dark horse candidates for the MVP. If he can stay healthy, he's very capable of 26, 27 points per game, along with some other stats that can help him win that. Whether or not he's going to average 26 points per game, that's a tough thing. With this Clippers offense, I mean, I think they're going to be spreading the ball around. I think Kawhi Leonard's going to be scoring a lot. Paul George will be scoring. Russell Westbrook's going to be scoring. They got Bones Highland off the bench. I mean, the Clippers are going to probably be spreading the ball around a little bit too much for Paul George to be the MVP. But I'd like him to be a dark horse if he is healthy, though. Because when he is healthy, I think he's one of the smoothest and best all-around players in the NBA. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, when they're both healthy, are two of the best players in the NBA. They're both great offensively. They're both great defensively. And Paul George doesn't have many flaws in his game. He's great all around. He just needs to stay healthy. And if he were to do so, and the same for Kawhi Leonard, the sky's the limit for that Clippers team. If they can just stay healthy, I don't think anybody wants to see them in the playoffs. And we saw Kawhi Leonard last year in the playoffs. Against the Phoenix Suns in the first two games of that series, he was the best player out there. He got the Clippers a winning game one, and then game two, the Clippers were right there. And then the Clippers did fight without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in games three, four, and five, which I was proud of. But if they have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard healthy, I still believe they're the best team in the NBA. And I'm fine saying that. I know a lot of people are going to disagree. A lot of people talk about the injuries. A lot of people talk about Paul George in the playoffs. The way I see it is if those two guys are healthy, they're two of the best players in the NBA, both great offensively and defensively, and they want to win. So moving on to the next award, that's Defensive Player of the Year. And my Defensive Player of the Year this year is Nick Claxton of the Brooklyn Nets. If you look at his numbers last year, he was good enough to be a Defensive Player of the Year winner last year. And somehow he didn't make an NBA All-Defensive team. Which is crazy to say because if you look at his numbers, 2.49 blocks per game along with 0.86 steals per game. It's crazy that he wasn't a Defensive Player of the Year candidate, nor was he an all-defensive player in the NBA last year. That's just crazy. And if you look at his contract this year, he's a free agent after this year's over. And you guys know how I feel about NFL players when they're on a contract year. I always pick the guy to win Defensive Player of the Year that's coming off a good season that has a contract year. So last year, I picked TJ Watt to win the Defensive Player of the Year in the NFL. That worked. This year, my pick was Miles Garrett because Garrett can opt out of his contract after the season's over. As for Nick Claxton, he's a free agent after the season's over. This is a big year for him to try to go out there and make more money. As for my runner-up, I have two of them. One of them being Evan Mobley of the Cavaliers and one being Rudy Gobert of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think if you look at Evan Mobley, he has one more year on this current deal after the season ends. So next year, it'll be a contract year for him. But I think he's going to have a big year this year because he wants to get that extension before heading into next season. And his numbers last year were good. 15.6 points per game, one and a half blocks per game, pointed steals per game. He had a good season last year. I think he'll be right there in the defensive player of the year voting. As for I think will be another runner-up, Rudy Gobert, which every single year is one of the best defensive players in the NBA. Wasn't top three in the NBA last season. I think he returns to form this year and has a big year defensively. As for a dark horse candidate to look out for, I think Walker Kessler of the Utah Jazz, a guy I'm very high on. I think he's going to be great in the future for that franchise. I think he'll be right there for the blocks leader in the NBA. Watch out for him as a dark horse candidate to win Defensive Player of the Year. Next up, we have Rookie of the Year. And I know a lot of people are just penciling in either one guy or another guy. It's either Victor Wambanyama or Chet Holmgren. That's basically who everybody's going with for the Rookie of the Year. And my pick is Victor Wambanyama. But one thing I worry about him is if he can play the minimum games. If he were to get hurt, or if any rookie were to get hurt, 
It's going to be hard for them to win rookie of the year because you have to play a minimum of 65 games this season. I feel like it's hard for a rookie big man to come into the NBA and stay healthy, especially when you're stepping into leagues so young and you're not as strong as the guys around you like Joel Embiid or Giannis. That's why I think it could help Victor Womanyama to put on some muscle. But if you were to find a way to stay healthy this season, I think he wins rookie of the year. If you look at what he can do, he's seven foot three, has handles like Kevin Durant, can shoot mid-ranges, can shoot from three, can drive down the lane, can rim protect, can block you shooting a three-pointer from the free throw line. He can just jump from the free throw line and block shots from guys that are shooting beyond the arc. His ability and range are just unheard of in the NBA. You don't see guys that young stepping into the league with all of those attributes. He can do everything, offensively, defensively. There's not many flaws in his game. And a guy that he pointed out for a play that he looked out for a lot growing up in the NBA, a guy he looked up to, was Paul George, which I love to hear as well. And I see similar attributes to Paul George and Kevin Durant. I'd say it's a mix of those two guys, but he's also seven foot three. Nobody's doing what he's doing his size at seven foot three. So see what he does in the NBA. I think he's going to be a very good player for the Spurs. I do think they struggled this season. But watch out for him as rookie of the year. If he stays healthy, he'll likely win it. As for my runner-up, I went with Brandon Miller of the Charlotte Hornets. He can be a big scorer for them. It fills a need shooting the ball right away. They've needed help shooting and scoring over the last couple seasons. They also need LaMelo Ball to stay healthy. That's been a big issue for them over the last year. But I think Brandon Miller is very capable of 15 points per game. Whether or not he's going to do that, that's a question. But he's capable of doing it. He has the talent to step into the league and be a 15-point-per-game scorer. Once again, another guy that said Paul George was their favorite NBA player growing up. So, you know, I'd love to hear that. My dark horse candidate for Rookie of the Year is Sasha Vezinkov. And if you look at when he was drafted, he was drafted in 2017 in the second round by the Brooklyn Nets. He was a draft and stash type of player. And the Sacramento Kings acquired his rights in June of 2022 for the 49th overall pick in the 2022 draft which ended up becoming Isaiah Mobley. But they traded for the rights to this guy, Vezinkov, in June of 2022, hoping one day in the future he would be on their active roster. And then on July 18th of this past summer, 2023, he signed a three-year, $20 million deal with the Sacramento Kings. And if you look at his numbers over in Europe, he was a great scorer, especially last season in the EuroLeague. He was a EuroLeague MVP last year, just 27 years old, Averaging 17.6 points for a game and shot 38% from three-point land. And I think he's going to be a stud three-point shooter for the Sacramento Kings. Probably around 40% this year. He's a guy nobody knows about, but that's a guy to keep your eye on for a dark horse candidate to win Rookie of the Year. He'll be a great addition to that Kings roster that can already shoot well. They already have some guys that can shoot. They added that last year getting Kevin Herter and Malik Monk. But adding another one can never hurt. And they also have Keegan Murray going into his second year. So this team's going to be very talented, and I like Vezinkov to be right around the top three or four for consideration for Rookie of the Year. Next up, we have Most Improved Player of the Year, which I'm going to go with Benedict Matherin of the Indiana Pacers. He averaged 16.7 points per game last season, and I think he's going to get up to the 20s this year. I know a lot of people are considering another Indiana Pacer for this award. Obi Toppin's been getting a lot of buzz as of late to win this award, but I think Matherin's the big breakout candidate for them this season. And I was very torn between Matherin and my runner-up. Alperon Schengen was my runner-up. And I was very, very conflicted between choosing Schengen or choosing Matherin. But I ended up going with Matherin. But I think Schengen will be right there. He is my runner-up for most improved player. As of my dark horse candidate, I'm going to go with Jalen Green, who I like a lot as well. 
He averaged 19.9 points per game last year off 34% from three. And if he can get himself to 25 points per game this season, I know it's a big question whether or not he could do that right away, take a big jump in a second year. But if he can do that, I think he will be most improved player of the year. It's still unlikely you can just jump from 20 points per game to 25 points per game, especially on a team where there's a lot of young guys that want to shoot the ball. But I think Jalen Green has the talent to do so. And I'm very high on what he's going to be doing this year for the Houston Rockets. After another dark horse candidate to look out for, I'm going to go with Bones Highland. I think he's going to average around 14 to 15 points per game this season for the Clippers off the bench. If he's given the opportunities off the bench, like we saw in the preseason, and like we saw at some points last season when the Clippers had some injuries in the playoffs, he's very capable of being most improved player of the year. He's going to jump in points per game for sure. And he's now getting more opportunities for the Clippers off the bench than he had last season when the Clippers traded for him at the trade deadline. Just two second-round picks, which was an absolute steal by the Clippers front office. And if you look at what Bones was doing in the preseason, he was great defensively, hustling, getting his hands in passing lanes, making plays in transition. I think there's a big year in store for Busy Bones Highland this year. I think he's going to be the biggest X-Factor for the Clippers, off the bench at least. I'd say Russ Westbrook's probably the biggest X-Factor of the Clippers, but off the bench, I'm going to say Bones Highland would be the biggest X-Factor. If he can be a scoring spark and an energy spark off the bench every single night, that would be huge for this Clippers team. And another most improved player candidate that a lot of people are looking into is Jordan Poole, who could be a good prediction here, considering he'll probably get around 25 shots per game on the Washington Wizards this year, a team that's actively tanking. And he probably will average around 23 to 25 points per game with him. So he's a guy to look out for for most improved player. Next up, we have sixth man of the year award. And I'm going to go with Malik Monk of the Sacramento Kings, a guy I'm very high on. I've been a fan of him since his college days with De'Aaron Fox at Kentucky. Bam Adebayo, De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk. I watched just about every one of their games in college that one year they were together at Kentucky. I was a big fan of them. And I'm so happy to see Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox together for another year. Last year, the Kings brought in Malik Monk. He was a great addition. And I think this year he is the sixth man of the year award winner for the Sacramento Kings. I think he's going to be the guy this year that wins it in the NBA. As for my runner-up, I'm going to go with Jaden Ivey, a guy I'm very high on in the Detroit Pistons. I think he's a very underrated player. And if you look at that Pistons roster, a very young roster that's still building, he's somehow on the bench. He could be starting on some teams in the NBA right now. He has a talent to do so. But he's off the bench for the Pistons. So keep your eye on him as a sixth man of the year award winner. He'll be right there. He'll be a candidate, at least in my eyes. I think he'll be the runner-up. As for another guy that could be a good guy to look at and predict is Emmanuel Quickly. He could have won it last year. Last year, he could have won it over Malcolm Brogdon, who won it for the Celtics. Brogdon was on the Celtics, ended up winning it. But Emmanuel quickly was right there, and he probably could have won it, and nobody would have said anything about it. Because it was close between Brogdon and quickly. So he's a guy to look out for this year as well. A dark horse candidate, though, for this, which I already had him as a candidate for a dark horse for most improved player of the year, I'm going to go with Bones Highland. If the Clippers do indeed move Norman Powell for James Harden, Bones Highland would likely be the sixth man off the bench. And I think he ends up being a candidate for sixth man of the year, if that's the case. Next up, we have Coach of the Year. And I'm going to go with J.B. Bickerstaff of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And the Coach of the Year is typically is a new coach. It seems like 10 of the last 20 years, the Coach of the Year has been a new coach, which Bickerstaff isn't a new coach in Cleveland this year. But I really liked what I saw from Cleveland last year. And I think they're going to be a highest seed in the Eastern Conference. I have them as the second seed in the East this year over the Milwaukee Bucks. So I'm going to go with Bickerstaff as my coach of the year. As a runner-up, which is a new coach in a new place, I'm going to go with Ime Odoka, who was just hired 
by the Houston Rockets to be their coach. And there's a ton of young talent on the team, and I'm very high on them this season to exceed expectations. I think they're going to be right there in the play-in mix in the West, which that's a hot take. I know a lot of people aren't going to agree with me on that, and that's fine. And I'm very high on the Utah Jazz as well, which that's another candidate. That's my dark horse candidate for coach of the year. That's Will Hardy of the Utah Jazz. I like him a lot. But a lot of people are going to think both of those are crazy hot takes, and I could be completely wrong on these. I mean, these two rosters don't really have high expectations to do much this season, according to most people. But I think the Utah Jazz and the Houston Rockets are going to surprise this year. With that being said, I do acknowledge I could be completely off there, and this could go completely south. But when I look at their rosters, especially the Utah Jazz, when I look at what they did last season, and the talent they have this year, and they added in the offseason getting John Collins, getting Taylor Hendricks and some other pieces at the draft, I think they're going to exceed expectations. I really do. So my runner-up is Ime Odoka. And I think it's going to be partly because of what he does with that rebuilding team. We saw how great he was with X's and O's for the Celtics. Got the Celtics to the NBA Finals in his first year. And as for Will Hardy, I think he's going to be right there as well. I think he's going to be right there as well. The Utah Jazz have a roster to try to compete for a play-in seed this year. I'm very high on them to do big things. And the same goes for Houston. As for my Clutch Player of the Year award winner, I went with Anthony Edwards of the Minnesota Timberwolves, a guy that I think is going to be right there for the MVP conversation. He showed a lot of guts in the playoffs last year versus the Denver Nuggets, and obviously this summer was the best player in Team USA. I think this is going to be a huge breakout year for Anthony Edwards. I think he's going to be around 28 points per game, 29 points per game this season, and I like him to be a Clutch Player of the Year award winner. We saw him in college take a lot of big shots, and I think that's going to happen this year for the Minnesota Timberwolves. As for my runner-up, I two guys, Damian Lillard and Donovan Mitchell. I think they're both going to be right there for a runner-up and clutch player of the year award winners. I like Donovan Mitchell a lot. He's my MVP pick for the NBA this season. And I think he's going to be huge in the clutch for Cleveland this season. I'm very high on him. He's my MVP pick. So most MVPs have to have a good amount of clutch shots in a season. If you look back at Russell Westbrook's MVP season in Oklahoma City, took a lot of big shots and a lot of big moments and hit a lot of them for the Oklahoma City Thunder back in the day. I think this year, Donovan Mitchell is going to hit some big shots for Cleveland. And the same goes for Damian Lewis. He's been a closer his whole career in the NBA. One of the best clutch shooters in the NBA during his time in Portland. And I think he's going to be huge for Milwaukee this season in the clutch. As my dark horse for Clutch Player of the Year award winner, I'm going to go Paul George. I think he's going to take a lot of big shots this season for the Clippers. And like Paul George said in his podcast, he's on his bully this season. He's ready to go out there and try to get a ring. He is fully locked in, as is everyone on that Clippers team. Everyone's locked in. And I love to see it. As for some superlatives for this NBA season, who are the most underrated teams? And I've already mentioned them a good amount now. We're 38 minutes in. I've already mentioned them a good amount. I know these are three long shots that no one's talking about exceeding expectations, especially the degree that I think they're going to this season. And I could be way off here, and I realize that. I'm taking a big, hot take here with these three teams. But I like Detroit to exceed expectations. Not be a playoff team or a playing team, but I like them to exceed expectations this season. Which, who knows, maybe they could be a play-in team if they surprise heavily this season, which might be one more year away for them from doing so. Maybe one more star player away. But they do have a lot of young talent on that team that I like. And then the Utah Jazz and the Houston Rockets. Two teams that I think are very underrated that are going to exceed expectations this year. And I'm high on all three of these teams. I think they're all going to surprise this season. But all at different levels, I'd say. I think Utah and Houston will be right on the border of play-in teams. Right there in the playoffs, probably right there competing in the play-in tournaments, trying to make the playoffs. As for Detroit, I think they'll be right around 
double probably their win total from last season, and probably end with 30-plus wins, which is exceeding expectations in comparison to where a lot of people see them finishing this year in the East. As for the biggest overachievers this year, I think the Pistons take a step up, and I think they're more competitive this season. And I think the Rockets and the Jazz will take steps up as well. As for the biggest underachievers in the NBA this season, I'm not that very high on the Mavericks, the Grizzlies, or the Hawks. And all for different reasons, which I'll get into them more when I break down each team, which I was going to do it in a separate episode, but I'm going to keep it in the same episode. It makes sense just to have all my NBA predictions in one episode, so it's a one-stop shop here to listen to all my thoughts on the NBA before the season begins. So it doesn't really make sense to have two episodes to do so. So you're going to hear it at the end of this episode, what I think about the Grizzlies, the Mavericks, and the Hawks. As for some of my hot takes this year, I think Donovan Mitchell leads the NBA in points per game. I think he's the scoring title winner in the NBA this season. And I just want to see him do better in the playoffs, though. Even if he's not the scoring title winner in the NBA this season, I just want to see him do better in the playoffs. Because the Cavaliers lost last year in five games to a New York Knicks team that didn't even have a healthy Julius Randle. Which was tough to see. I didn't really expect that at all. And then also in 2022, when he was in the Utah Jazz organization, he lost to the Mavericks, who didn't have Luka Doncic for three games, which was tough to see. But I'd like him to have a big year this year in the regular season, and I want to see him do that in the playoffs as well. And I really think he has a shot at the scoring title this year. I really do. I think he'll be right there with Anthony Edwards as two of the top scorers in the NBA this year. I'm very high on both of those guys. Two guys I'm a big fan of. And these two teams I already mentioned a good amount. But I think the Utah Jazz and the Houston Rockets are both play-in teams this season. And I think the Utah Jazz make the playoffs. Two years ago in the 2020-2021 season, the Cleveland Cavaliers were 22-50. and 50. Fast forward two years later, in the 2022-2023 season, which was last year, the Cleveland Cavaliers were 51-31 and 31 in a top team in the East. They jumped 29 games within two seasons. So that just proves any team can make a jump within a year or two. There are teams every single year that have slept on before the season begins that make a big jump. Last year was the Sacramento Kings. They made a huge jump last season. This year, my two biggest sleepers are Utah and Houston, which are more high on Utah than I am Houston this season. I think both teams are going to overachieve. Maybe not to the degree that I see. I mean, I'm very high on them. I could see them overachieving, but not to the degree that I see them getting to. But if I had to pick one of those two teams this year that ends up being better in the standings, it would be Utah. Another big hot take I have is that the Phoenix Suns will not make it to the conference finals. I have them losing in the first round of the playoffs. Another hot take. Even though Tyrese Halliburton's the favorite to be the assist per game leader in the NBA this year, I like Russell Westbrook to be the assist leader in the NBA. I know it's a big hot take, but I think he's going to be right back to his triple-double ways this season. If you look at how comfortable he was when the Clippers picked him up last year, and especially in the playoffs, he really took over as the number one guy on the Clippers. And how great of a teammate he is. Everybody loves Russell Westbrook. He's found a role in this Clippers team, and he's thriving, and he's happy. I see him as the assist leader in the NBA this year. I know it's a big hot take, but I'm fine with that. I'm fine taking a big risk there, saying Russell Westbrook will be back to his triple-double ways this season. He's a great playmaking point guard, and he thrived for the Clippers last season. An organization and a fan base that really took him under their wings, and they appreciated him. And loved him. No hate was sent Russell Westbrook's way like there was when he was with the LA Lakers. Because the Clippers didn't blame him for anything. The Lakers blamed Russell Westbrook for the big three not working there with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. But at the end of the day, that big three, I wouldn't blame Russell Westbrook for the reason that didn't work. It just wasn't the best mix of guys, I guess. 
but he looks better alongside Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and seems a lot more comfortable and happy along those two guys. So I'm really happy to see that. That's another hot take. I think Rudy Gobert and the Minnesota Timberwolves find a way to make the big lineup work, and I think Rudy Gobert returns to a defensive player of the year candidate. Another hot take. My executive of the year, I'm going to go with Justin Zanuck, who is the GM of the Utah Jazz. I'm very high on the Utah Jazz this season, and he's been putting together a very good team there with the help of Danny Ainge, who's been great at rebuilding franchises and making big trades over his career in the NBA, especially with the Celtics. As for my best three-point shooter in the NBA this year, I think the three-point field goal made leader will be Steph Curry. I see a big season from him, especially if he can stay healthy. He'll be right there at the top, as he always is, year in and year out. I really like Buddy Hill this year as well. He takes a lot of threes every year, and I think that Pacers team is going to be very underrated. They're probably going to need some scoring and threes from him this year. I think they're going to trade him. I think they'll keep him for now at least. Maybe the deadline, maybe they move him if they're not in a playoff race. Maybe move him to a team that needs some shooting help, whether it's like Oklahoma City or another squad, like the Minnesota Timberwolves maybe. Maybe they could use a shooter. But I do think right at the top will be Steph Curry and Buddy Hield. I'm very high on Buddy Hield. I've been a fan of him for years now in the NBA. And one other player I want to mention for a breakout player this season, it's Davion Mitchell of the Sacramento Kings. If you look at his rookie year numbers two years ago, he averaged 11.5 points per game of 28 minutes per game of action. Last season, he only played 18 minutes per game, and his point total dropped to 5.6 points per game. And that's because he lost his role with the team off the bench because of the addition of Keegan Murray, who is a great young three-point shooter, and I understand Keegan Murray getting minutes. But I think Davion Mitchell is a very underrated talent, and I think he could be a good breakout player this year for them. If he's given the opportunity minutes-wise and shot attempts-wise, I think he could be a great breakout player of the year candidate. And while I'm talking about breakout players of the year, let me give you a list of guys that I think are great guys to look at as breakout players for this season. One being Jalen Green, which he was very good last year as a rookie, averaging just over 20 points per game. I'm hoping he can average around 25 points per game. But the question is, will some of his shots get taken away by Fred Van Vliet's addition? That could be a problem for him getting shot attempts per game. But I think he's a great breakout guy to look at. Another guy on the same team is Alperon Schengen, a guy I've already mentioned now in the episode. I think he'll be a double-double terror this year for the Houston Rockets in the paint. Another guy I've already mentioned, Benedict Matherin of the Indiana Pacers. I think he's going to be a 20-plus point-per-game scorer this season. Probably around 23 points per game, if I had to guess. And I think he's going to take a big step up in year two. Another guy I've already mentioned, Davion Mitchell. I just hope he gets more minutes. If he gets more minutes... I think he's capable of 15 points per game. But the issue for me here is minutes and how many minutes he's going to get per game. The minutes necessary to get 15 points per game may not be there this season. But if he can get back to his rookie end numbers around 11 and a half, 12 points per game off the bench, I think that would be huge. He was putting in work all summer on his Instagram. I follow him on Instagram. I'm a big fan of him. I've followed him since his Baylor days now. And on Instagram this summer, he was working out day in and day out, morning and night. And I also should mention he has the best Instagram captions in the game. No one has better and more real Instagram captions than Davion Mitchell, which that's not a reason to pick a guy for breakout player of the year candidate. But I think he's going to have a big year this year. I think he's a very underrated player on that Sacramento Kings team. And that's if he gets the opportunity. If the minutes aren't there and the shot attempts aren't there, being a breakout candidate for him would probably be tough. But I'm banking on in this prediction him getting the necessary minutes and shot attempts per game. Next up is another guy that I've mentioned before on the podcast, but not on this episode, Ochai Abaji. I need him to take more shots this season, 
But I think he can average double-digit scoring. Within this season and next, I think he's going to be around a 15-point-per-game scorer in the NBA. And his teammate, Walker Kessler, is another guy I'm very high on. I think he's going to average around 13 points, 11 rebounds, and 2 blocks per game this season. He showed he was a double-double threat on a nightly basis at the end of last season. And I'm hoping this season he shows it again. Another breakout candidate that I like is Jabari Smith. He averaged 13 points per game and 8 rebounds per game last season for Houston as a rookie. I think he jumps up to around 15 points per game and 9 rebounds per game this season. There could be a lot for him to try to handle this season, considering I think Jalen Green takes a big step up, and there's going to be some shots taken away by Alperon Schengen and Fred Van Vliet and some other guys on that Houston Rockets team. So that could be a big hot take. I could be completely wrong here. But I think he's a good breakout guy to look at because the talent and potential, they're both there for this guy. And lastly, my other breakout player I want to mention is Nick Claxton, who I think will be an all-NBA defensive player this season. And I think he's going to be right at the top in blocks per game in the NBA. I think he's going to be right around maybe 2.7 or 2.8 blocks per game and be right at the top of the list with Walker Kessler. I think Claxton's very underrated. And while I'm talking underrated, I wanted to give a lineup of the most underrated players in the NBA by position. Just one or two guys at each position that I feel like are the most underrated players. Which I'm just doing this for fun. There's going to be other guys I'm going to mention and not talk about here that I know you guys probably may want to add in. Which is so many underrated players in the NBA considering I feel like most of the guys that get the talk are the stars. And then after that, there's a lot of under-the-radar guys. So this list obviously isn't every guy that's the most underrated player. There's going to be some guys that I'm missing here. We'll start with a point guard though. Terry Rozier and Russell Westbrook are my most underrated point guards in the NBA. Russell Westbrook, with all the criticism and all the hatred sent his way, all of it being unnecessary and unwarranted over the last couple of years, all of that being sent his way, I feel like he's underrated now with how good of a talent he is. I think Russell Westbrook is underrated, especially when you look at the top 100 players in the NBA. I believe he was around 90, which I'm going to give my top 50 players in the NBA heading into the season at the end of the episode. But Russell Westbrook at 90 is just ridiculous. And then Terry Rogier, I feel like he's a very underrated player because when a lot of people link up with that Hornets team, they just think LaMelo Ball. But I think Terry Rogier is very underrated. He's a good scorer, can drive, can hit some big shots, and he hustles game in and game out. At the shooting guard position, I went Jalen Green, who I've already talked about a good amount, so I don't really have to go in depth there. At small forward, I got Laurie Markkinen, who really broke out last season. A 25-point-per-game scorer last year. And he really showed he could be the number one on a team, which he was the number one guy on that team last season. Next up, at power 40, Jalen Duran of the Pistons, who I'm very high on, is a breakout player for this season. That's a guy I didn't get to mention. Forgot to mention him when I was doing my breakout players, but I think Jalen Duran is a very underrated big man, and I think one day will be one of the best big men in the NBA, maybe within the next two or three years. And at center, Alperon Schengen, another under-the-radar guy. My most underrated bench players, I'm going to go Bones Highland, and Davion Mitchell. So now I'll dive back into my standings and my win-loss record for each team, which I already broke that down, but going to go team by team, which I already went through one through five in the East, which the number one seed I have is the Celtics, two was Cleveland, three was Milwaukee, four was Philly, five was the New York Knicks, and then six is Miami Heat. I had the Miami Heat at 42 and 40. They made it back to the NBA Finals last season as the eighth seed. They were probably the best eighth seed in recent memory in the NBA. They found a way to get all the way there, taking down the Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, they deserve to get there considering how good and how much of a fight they put up in the playoffs. They didn't get Damian Lillard over the summer like they wanted. That was their main goal, was to go out there and get Damian Lillard. They ended up falling short of that. They didn't have the package that Portland really wanted. 
And now they're left with Kyle Lowry as a starting point guard. But they do have Tyler Harrow back, a guy that I think is very underrated. I'm a big fan of Tyler Harrow. think he can do big things for that team. And they also still have Caleb Martin, Kevin Love, Bam Adebayo, and Jimmy Butler. They still have a competitive roster, but they did lose Vincent and Struess. Gabe Vincent and Max Struess both are gone to Cleveland and the Los Angeles Lakers. Two big losses there for them, especially being two quality role players in the over the last couple of years. That's something that they're going to have to fill. Duncan Robinson is still there. But if you look at Duncan Robinson, though, he wasn't really the player last year that he was in years past. But they need him to heat up and be a better shooter off the bench like he was in years past, considering they just lost Vincent and Struess, two quality role players in those two guys right there. Next up at number seven in the East, we have the Indiana Pacers at 41-41. They still have Miles Turner, Buddy Hill, Tyrese Halliburton, three good pieces there. And they also added Bruce Brown in free agency. He was a great piece to the Denver Nuggets last season off the bench. He helped them win the NBA Finals. And then he got a big payday from Indiana. And the Pacers also have Benedict Matherin, a guy that I think could be one of the biggest breakout players in the NBA this season. I have him at around 23 points per game and five rebounds per game this season. And if he were to do that, that would be huge for the Pacers. They also have a rookie from the University of Miami and Isaiah Wong, who's a very good scorer in college. Excited to see what he does in the NBA and interested to see how many minutes he gets per night. Next up at eighth in the East, we have the Brooklyn Nets at 40 and 42. They finally have Ben Simmons healthy and ready to go. Could be an underrated addition to their lineup considering his court vision's great and his defense is great. And he hasn't played in the NBA over the last couple seasons, so he should be hungry and ready to win. As for who they're bringing back, they have Mikel Bridges and Kim Johnson. Two great pieces in their return for Kevin Durant in the trade last season. Two great pieces to build around. And I like Nick Claxton a lot in the paint. He's a defensive force. Probably will have a good role as the defensive guy in the paint. They don't really have too many other big men besides him. Off the bench, you have Cam Thomas, who shined for a good week or two last season. Had a couple big spurts shooting the ball last year. We'll see what his role is this year. I think one guy's role who's going to be lessened this year than it was last year is Spencer Dinwiddie, who was good last season as a facilitator, one of the best assist guys in the NBA. But with Ben Simmons healthy, he's probably going to lose a little bit of that role that he had last season. And then they also have Dennis Smith Jr., who I like his athleticism a lot. I think he's a great athletic player. But he's never really fully panned out in the NBA and I'm rooting for him to do that, but he hasn't done so yet. We'll see what he does this year for Brooklyn. At number nine, we have the Chicago Bulls at 39-43. A big question around the Bulls is what are they going to do with their franchise? They're kind of in the middle of contending, in the middle of rebuilding. I think they're closer to rebuilding than contending. I mean, even though they do have three great pieces in DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, and Zach Levine, with Lonzo Ball being hurt, that was a big hit to their offense. He's a great playmaking point guard. And they really don't have the depth around those three guys that I just named to try to go out there and win the NBA Finals. I mean, I like Patrick Williams a lot. He's a good player. Alex Crusoe is a solid role player as well. Two solid role players there in Williams and Crusoe. But it's still not enough to compete in the East. I think they're closer to rebuilding than contending. And that's why I think at some point this season, I think they trade at least one of Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan. Maybe one of them goes to Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City has... The amount of draft picks to get any player in the league they want. If Oklahoma City feels like at the trade down that they could go out and get one of those guys, they could go out and do that. And I'll chef up a trade at some point with one of those guys going to Oklahoma City just to see what a trade would look like with them going there. It would probably have to be a three-team trade to make the money work. Next up, as the 10th seed in the East, we have the Atlanta Hawks at 38-44. and 44. I'm not very high in the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, they have talent. I'm not doubting their ability. They do have a lot of talent. A great backcourt in Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. But I really haven't bought into those two guys working on the same team yet. I think it's tough to carry two point guards, even if one of them does act like a shooting guard, you know, just because the other one wants to be the point guard. I understand that. But I think when you look at that team, I think when you lose John Collins, it's a big loss in the paint. 
I do know that they have Onyeka Okongwu, and they also have Clint Capella, two guys that have forces in the paint. Capella's been great defensively for them in rebounding. But I think John Collins is a big loss for them. I think John Collins is a very quality player, and he made a lot of big shots over the last couple seasons. Even though the Hawks didn't get to where they wanted to get to last season, he was a good player on that team. I think he's going to be a loss for them. And I think with John Collins being gone, DeAndre Hunter's role will probably be bigger for this team this season. Next up at number 11, we have the Charlotte Hornets at 36-46. and 46. I actually like the Charlotte Hornets roster. I think they're going to be a good team probably a year or so from now. I'm high on them in their future. But they need LaMelo Ball to stay healthy. And without LaMelo Ball staying healthy, it's probably going to be tough for that team to contend in the East. And I think LaMelo Ball is overrated. I think he's a good player. But I think where people see him in the NBA, I think he's a little bit overrated. I'm not that high on him as most people. But I do know he's a very good player, and I think they need him in the lineup if they want to contend in the East. But I do like the rest of the roster as well. I like Terry Roger. I like P.J. Washington. I like Gordon Haywood. And I've liked Gordon Haywood and Terry Roger since the Celtics days. So them being together in Charlotte now, I've been a fan of them now for the past couple of seasons following them. Not a Charlotte Hornets fan, but I'll root for those two guys to do well. And I also like Nick Richards, a former University of Kentucky Wildcat. And he's been good at the paint for them. And then they also added Brandon Miller in the draft, a guy who's a pure scorer, similar to Paul George, I'd say. That's another guy that picks Paul George as a favorite player. He actually said Paul George was his goat in the NBA, which was great to hear. I'm a big Paul George fan, so anytime somebody gives Paul George some props, I'm obviously going to be a fan of that guy. And then in the paint, they have Mark Williams, who will likely be starting for them, so he'll probably have a big role from the get-go. At number 12, we have the Toronto Raptors. I have them at 35 and 47. Not very high on this team. They did lose Fred Van Vliet, which was a loss for them offensively. I did think he got overpaid, though, by the Houston Rockets. And then they also lost Nick Nurse, who they ended up firing. He just joined the 76ers to be the head coach. As for who's still on that roster, they still have OG Ananobi, Scotty Bonds, Pascal Siakam, Jakob Perto, Dennis Schroeder, who is a great addition. I like Dennis Schroeder. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the NBA. Should have had him in my underrated players lineup. Uh, but I do, do think Dennis Schroeder was a very good ad for them. He was a big reason that Germany won the FIBA World Cup this summer. And I think at some point, though, this team's going to be struggling midseason. And I think they move on from Pascal Siakam. I know the club is at one point interested in him. I don't know if that's still the case. But I do think Pascal Siakam will be traded at some point this season. I think a good landing spot for him could be the Clippers. Could be maybe even a team like the New York Knicks. Or maybe even the Miami Heat. So we'll see what happens over the course of the season. But I do think at some point he will be traded. At number 13, we have the Orlando Magic. I have them at 34 and 48. I know some people are picking them to be a sleeper team in the NBA this year. I do think they have some talent. Paula Boncaro was great last season as a rookie out of Duke. Franz Wagner, been very good in the NBA. Big reason that Germany just won the World Cup. Jalen Suggs. Then they have a rookie, Anthony Black, who they just drafted in the NBA draft. They got Markel Fultz. They got Cole Anthony. They got Gary Harris. They do have some talent on that roster. I'm not doubting that. But I think they could struggle to score some points. And I think there's too many teams in the East that are above them talent-wise right now. I think Orlando, a year from now, maybe add another piece or two in free agency and in the draft. I think a year or so from now, they could be a good pick to contend in the East and maybe be a sleeper team to be a 6, 7, or 8 seed. As of right now, I have them out of the playoffs. Next up at 14, we have the Detroit Pistons. I have them at 31 and 51. Monty Williams is the new head coach of the Detroit Pistons, a guy that had a lot of success in Phoenix, got them to an NBA Finals, was competitive just about every year when he was in Phoenix. And I think if you look at that Detroit Pistons roster, I think they're closer to contending than people give them credit for. I still think they're going to be rebuilding probably for at least another season or two. But I think they're building a nice foundation there in Detroit. Building a nice, bright future in guys like Jaden Ivey, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Duran. 
And I think at some point they're going to move on from Boyan Bogdanovich. And once they move on from him, I think that'll probably be a way for them to get some draft picks back, maybe get a young player in return at the deadline. And then they'll probably just keep rebuilding. Because I think when you look at Bogdanovich on this team, it doesn't really make much sense with all the young guys around him. I mean, this team is rebuilding. He could be on a contender right now and help them compete and help them have another scorer. I mean, some teams at the deadline will be looking for some scoring help. He could be a guy that the team could potentially go after at the deadline. They have some other good pieces, though. Killian Hayes, Azad Thompson, Isaiah Stewart. They have a ton of young players. And that's why I think they can make a little bit of noise in the East this year and surprise some people. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team or a play-in team. I still think they're another year away. But I have them doubling their win total almost from last season. They won 17 games last season. I have them at 31 this season. Next up at 15th, dead last in the East, we have the Washington Wizards, who I have going 21 at 61. They're building around Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma, which Jordan Poole is going to have a ton of shot attempts this year. He's probably going to average around 25 points per game, considering he's going to have about 20 to 25 shots on a nightly basis, considering there really isn't much offense besides him there. They did add Bilal Koulibaly in the draft, a guy out of France that I'm high on. I think he's a very underrated rookie to keep your eye on the season. Koulibaly is very good defensively, and I think he's going to sprout into a very good player for them in the future. Now for the West. I have the Denver Nuggets at 1 at 53-29, the reigning NBA champions. And when you have a roster that includes Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, that's a great one-two punch right there. They're going to be the top in the West for sure if those two guys stay healthy. And they finally had a fully healthy season last year, and that's why you saw them win the NBA Finals. They did lose Bruce Brown, but they still have Catavis Caldwell-Pope, a guy that I'm very high on. Once again, another very underrated player in the NBA. I should have had him in my lineup as well. So add Catavis Caldwell-Pope to another guy that's very underrated. He would probably be my starting shooting guy, I'd say, in my most underrated lineup in the NBA. I know I like Jalen Green a lot, but I think KCP being a big piece of them to win the NBA Finals last year, I think he's underrated. He's won a couple NBA rings now, and I think he's a guy that should get more respect and some more buzz around the league being an underrated piece like he has been in the NBA over the last few years. The Denver Nuggets still have Aaron Gordon as well. He was another big piece of them last season. And then they also added Julian Strother in the draft, a guy who averaged 15 points per game and shot 41% from three last season at Gonzaga. He was actually a three-year player at Gonzaga, so a nice veteran from college, now jumping to the NBA, has a lot of experience playing in college, especially at Gonzaga, one of the top programs in the country, and he's going to contribute right away for Denver which we saw on opening night. At number two in the West, I have the Phoenix Suns at 49-33. If you look at this Phoenix Suns team, there's a lot of changes from their roster last year to this year. They no longer have Chris Paul, meaning that the starting point guard now is Bradley Beal. I believe Devin Booker and Bradley Beal both split the point guard position. And then Campaign's also gone. So they lost Campaign and Chris Paul, the two point guards from last season, meaning that Bradley Beal and Devin Booker will be their point guards. And they still don't really have that much depth. They still don't have that many role players. Even though it's better depth this year than they had last year, probably, it's still not that much better. They do have Eric Gordon, Grayson Allen, Josh Okoji, and Yusuf Nurkic. Those are all solid role players into pieces around them, around that big three and Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, and Devin Booker. But I still think when you look at the West, I still have them being a top team in the West. But I think once they get to the playoffs, I think that's going to be an issue for them. Can they stay healthy? Because if they don't stay healthy, their depth isn't going to keep them afloat in the West. Especially the West this season. The West is absolutely stacked this year. And it's probably the toughest conference to predict in recent years. There's so much talent. And a lot of teams are very similar to each other. Which is the reason I could be way off with a lot of these predictions. But I think when you look at Phoenix Suns team, I don't really think once they get to the playoffs, 
they're going to make a deep run, which that's a hot take. I talked about it in my hot takes already, but I don't have them making a deep run. And one guy I forgot to mention was Utah Watanabe, who shot 44% from three last year for the Brooklyn Nets. Good pickup for them getting him. He did play with Kevin Durant last year. Maybe Kevin Durant tried to get him in the offseason, trying to get him over there to help them out three-point shooting-wise, which they do have Eric Gordon as well, another good three-point shooter. But when you look at that team, they're completely banking on Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal to stay healthy. Bradley Beal has missed games over the last couple seasons. They're completely banking on him to stay healthy. And Yusuf Nurkic, another injury-prone player. And if he were to get hurt, they could be in trouble in the paint. That's what I worry about them in the playoffs. He missed 56 games over the last two seasons. With it being said, when he is healthy, he's a very good player, a double-double machine night in and night out. But it's hard to bank on him staying healthy. Next up at number three in the West, we have the LA Clippers. I have them going 48-34. and 34. I think the Clippers' ceiling is probably first, and I think their floor is six. I could see them finishing anywhere between the first seed and the sixth seed, just missing the play-in tournament. At least that's what I hope for them this season. And that could just be wishful thinking, but I do believe in this Clippers team a lot. And when you look at this Clippers team and their future, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard both have $48 million player options for next season, but they haven't picked it up yet. And they still are extension eligible for a four-year $223 million deal. And that still hasn't gotten done either yet. So if the Clippers were not to re-sign Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to extensions, and they weren't going to pick up their option for next season... Does that mean the Clippers could potentially look to trade those guys if things are going south at the trade deadline? I think that could legitimately be a case, which I'm believing this Clippers team to be a team that could make a deep run this year in the NBA Finals. I believe in them more than any team in the NBA. I'm a huge Clippers fan, as you know, so there could be some slight bias there. But I do believe in this team a lot. With that being said, I do acknowledge that if one of them does go down with an injury, this season could go completely awry. And they could potentially move on from one of them at the trade deadline if they don't think that one of them is going to come back in the offseason, whether they opt in or get an extension. And I think this season is a make-or-break year for the Clippers. And Paul George said it best on his podcast. And I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember the exact quote. But he said him and Kawhi Leonard, they completely locked in. And Paul George, this is year 14 for him. He's excited to go out there and try to win an NBA ring. That's his main goal, is to go win a finals ring. And it seems like he's already ready and geared up to go out there and give it his all on a nightly basis. He is completely locked in. And one thing about Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, a lot of people criticize him for their injuries. It's not like they're asking to get injured. They've had a lot of bad luck with injuries. But one thing I do know is that if they stay healthy, they're the most dangerous team in the NBA. And this is a make or break year for both those guys in LA. And this could also be the last year for Ty Lue as the head coach for the Clippers. He's in a contract year. And then Russell Westbrook could get out of his two-year deal at the end of this season. So it's a make-or-break year completely for the Clippers. And that's why I'm on board with them trading for James Harden, since I think this Clippers team is going to have to rebuild probably for three or four years after this year is over if Paul George Kawhi Leonard were to leave. And they're going to have to wait a while to try to go and win an NBA Finals ring. I think this year right now is the best chance for the next 10 to 12 years, at least guaranteed chance in the next 10 to 12 years. That's guaranteeing with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard being here for this season. But this is their only guaranteed chance to compete in the next three to four or five years because they have Paul George quite landed on their roster. But I think when you look at James Harden, he's a great instant offensive playmaker right away and would be a huge addition to that Clippers lineup. And it's also a contract year for James Harden. He only has one year left on his deal. So if the Clippers were to get James Harden, it would be the last guaranteed year of Paul George quite landed on the Clippers, probably the last year for Ty Lue, 
If Paul George and Kawhi Leonard leave, maybe the Clips go in a different direction. And the same goes for Russell Westbrook, probably his last year as well. So it's a make or break year all around for this Clippers team. And I think Paul George will come back for a discount. I think he'll come back for a hometown discount. But I do think this will be the last year for Kawhi Leonard on the Clippers. And one thing the Clippers need to do this year is just stay healthy. Just stay healthy. Paul George has made it very clear. He's ready. He's hungry. He's ready to go off. He's ready to go win an NBA Finals ring. And the Clippers still have all dogs in their roster. Terrence Mann, Bones Highland. And Bones is a guy who I think is going to be right up there for most approved player award winner. I really do. I think he's going to be around 15 and a half points per game and around four to five assists per game, maybe a steal and change per game. He added some muscle in the offseason, and he's been underrated defensively for the Clippers in the preseason. And the Clippers also traded for K.J. Martin to help them out on the bench. Another good piece to build around in the future. Next to Bones Highland, Terrence Mann, who I know is 26 years old, but Terrence Mann will be a piece for the Clippers for the future. And they also added in Kobe Brown and Jordan Miller in the draft. Two NBA-ready players who are veterans in college that can help the Clippers right now contend. And the Clippers in their time with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, they're 83-35 and 35 with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard healthy and on the court at the same time. 83-35 and 35 for a 703 win percentage. They just need to stay healthy and they can win the NBA Finals. So now here's my prediction for what I think Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Russell Westbrook stat lines will look like for this year. Paul George, if healthy, if he plays 65 games, I really believe he's a top 12 player in the NBA. And I see him at 25.5 points per game, 6.8 rebounds per game, 5.3 assists per game, 1.6 steals per game, 0.6 blocks per game, and I think he shoots 39% from three this year. Kawhi Leonard, I have him at 26 points per game, 7 rebounds per game, 4 assists per game, 1.5 steals per game, and 38% from three. Russell Westbrook. I have him at 16 points per game, 16.5 points per game, so just let's say 17 points per game, 6.5 rebounds per game, 9.5 assists per game, 1.5 steals per game, and I think he shoots 34% from three this season. So that's my thoughts on the Clippers. I'll probably talk about them a good amount over the next week or so to recap how they've done early in the season. But I have them finishing third in the West, which, as I said, I could see them even finishing first, and I could see them finishing sixth. At fourth in the West, I have the Sacramento Kings at 47 35. They're returning a lot of last year's team, a team that brought Sacramento to the playoffs for the first time since 2006. Very exciting year last year for the Sacramento Kings. Darren Fox has fully broken out over the last couple seasons, and the Kings' acquisition of DeMontis Sabonis ended up being a very even deal, a win-win deal for both Indiana and Sacramento. Because Indiana gets a piece to build around for the future in Tyrese Halliburton, and the Kings get some help in the paint that they've needed for years. And that was a trade I talked about on my radio show, my original one, The Playbook with Joey and Zach on WZB's AM Sports Radio. And I mentioned that I thought it'd be a good deal for both sides. And the way things look right now is a win-win both ways. And if you look at that Kings team from last season, they added Kevin Hurd and Malik Monk to help them three-point shooting-wise. And they were two great additions shooting the ball last year for them. Two great pickups. And they also have a very underrated player, Davion Mitchell. A guy who I think can be a great scorer off the bench for them. I think he can be a good scorer for them, a good shooter. And I think he could be a 15-point-per-game scorer over the next couple seasons. If he gets 25 minutes per game, I truly believe he could be a 15-point-per-game scorer. He's going to need some shots, obviously, per game as well, if he were to do so, which is probably unlikely this season. But I think he'll probably be around 12 points per game. At least that's my hope. Could be just wishful thinking. Off seven shots attempt per game, probably on average. But I do think he's a player to keep your eye on. I'm a huge fan of him. And I think he could be a legitimate breakout candidate if he is indeed given the chance this season. Next up is the fifth seed in the West. We have the Golden State Warriors. I have them at 47-35. to 
They were 11-30 and 30 on the road last season, so a big question for them this season is, can they be better on the road this season? And you have to think they're going to be better away this season, especially with Steph Curry fully healthy. And they also added in Chris Paul to help them out off the bench, which it was weird to see him playing last night on the Warriors. That's something that we're going to have to get used to, obviously seeing him in a Warriors uniform. But one thing with this Warriors team, and a big question for them over the last couple of weeks, is Klay Thompson's future with the franchise, which right now it's unknown. He wants an extension, but he wants more money than what Golden State's offered him, meaning he'll probably be a free agent this upcoming summer. And this Warriors team is getting older, which means they're probably going to rely on Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody more this season than they did last season. There's not much more time for Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson to contend together. Maybe another year or two to be an NBA Finals contender, but after that, I think their window to try to win an NBA Finals is going to close. I see them for another two years probably being a top contender to win the NBA Finals. But after that, I think the time's dwindling. At number six, we have the LA Lakers at 46-36. and 36. LeBron's aging. He's getting older. Even though he's still a top player in the NBA in my eyes, he's going to be on a minutes restriction this year, according to Davin Ham. He's going to be around 28 to 30 minutes per night. So that means a lot of the pressure on the Lakers is going to fall on the shoulders of Anthony Davis. Can he stay healthy and carry this team? And a guy that they're going to expect to take a step up this year is Austin Reeves. Got a payday this summer from the Lakers. And I think he's a little bit overrated. I think he's a good player, but I do think he's a little bit overrated. I think he's a good talent to have on your team, but I don't think he's the third option. I still think D'Angelo Russell is the third option there. But the Lakers also added Gabe Vincent as well. He's a guy to keep your eye on. I do like Austin Reeves, though. That's not taking a shot at him. I do think he's a good player. But a lot of Lakers fans see him as that third option and being potentially the second option on some nights. I still think that third option is probably going to be D'Angelo Russell more of the time than not. Next up at 7th in the West, we have the Minnesota Timberwolves. I have them at 46 and 36. A lot of criticism has been sent their way over the last year for that big trade package they sent to Utah for Rudy Gobert, which it did overpay heavily. It did inflate the trade market a lot. But I didn't disagree with the move. It was a lot. I'm not saying the package was fair. They did give up probably too much. But I did like their addition of Gobert in that lineup. He helps Kyle Anthony Towns in the paint defensively. And he's one of the top defensive players in the NBA. So I didn't disagree with them going out there and getting him, even though they did give up a lot. I think this team will be a tough team this season. I really do. They got Mike Conley, who is older but still a good facilitator. And Anthony Edwards is going to be a top player in the NBA this year. I see him around top 8 to 10 right now entering the NBA season this year. He's right up there for one of the best players in the NBA. I see Minnesota as a team that could finish as high as 4 and as low as 8. Just like the Clippers, they could finish anywhere in the Western Conference. I wanted to have Minnesota at 47 wins, but I didn't want them matching up with the Clippers as the sixth seed since I wanted the Wolves to win a playoff series. I thought they'd win a playoff series this season. So I went with them as the seventh seed at 46 and 36. As the eighth seed in the West, I have the Oakland City Thunder at 43 and 39. They have the nice young core of Shea Gilgis Alexander, Chet Holmgren, Jalen Williams, Josh Giddy. They've been building very well over the last couple seasons. And even though I think they're going to have a good year this year, I think their future. Is so bright. I think next year is the year they're going to take a big step up and be right up there for the top in the West. I have them as the eighth seed right now. I don't see them finishing higher than the seventh seed, maybe sixth at best, but that's probably being generous. I see them around the seventh, eighth, or ninth seed in the West this season. And maybe they make a trade midseason and go and get another star. Maybe Pascal Siakam, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, maybe even James Harden. They have 15 first-round picks and 22 second-round picks in the next seven NBA drafts. Credit to Sam Presti, one of the best GMs in the business. I'd say he's right there with Danny Ainge as one of the best executives in the NBA. I'd say it's Danny Ainge and him. So they could go out there and get another start midseason if they wanted. 
And I think they could be slightly overrated this season heading into the year because of the young pieces they have. But I'd say they're probably still another year or another star away from fully contending. They still have some pieces to add to that roster. At number nine, I have the Utah Jazz at 42 and 40. That's going to come as a big surprise here. But they have a great head coach of Will Hardy, who helped the franchise really overachieve last season. After trading away the two franchise cornerstones of Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, nobody had any expectations for them to be competitive whatsoever. They start off the year very hot, they tail towards the end. But I like this roster a lot. And they're now equipped with a nice young core of young players in Ochai Abaji, Walker Kessler, a rookie in Taylor Hendricks. And they have some solid role players in Colin Sexton, Kelly Olynyk, Jordan Clarkson, and they have a star in Laurie Makinen. They crushed the NBA draft this year. They really did. Taylor Hendricks, ninth overall pick. He's a great rim protector and can shoot from three. Definitely helps him spread the floor. He's a great athletic power forward. He's going to be a very good defensive player with them, which I think when you look at that Jazz team, they're going to be a force defensively. Walker Kessler, Laurie Makinen, Taylor Hendricks, all in the paint together with John Collins. That's a team to look out for in the paint. Then they also added Keontae George at the 16th overall pick. A very good scorer and a good shot creator. Definitely adds depth to their bench, which I think is going to help them right away off the bench. Probably going to average around 8 to 10 points per game, I'd say. He's not going to have a crazy rookie year, I don't think. But he's a good guy to keep your eye on in the next year or so to really break out for them off the bench. And then they also have a nice bench with Chris Dunn and Taylor Horton Tucker. And I also didn't even mention Bryce Sensabar, a guy that they got at the 28th overall pick, who was a steal in the draft. And they also added a John Collins for only Rudy Gobert in a second-round pick. An absolute steal of a trade. So credit to Danny Ainge in the Utah Jazz front office for rebuilding the right way. They're contending probably in a year or so, I'd say, with that roster they have right now. I think in a year or so, they'll be contending for a top four or five seed in the Western Conference. I'm very high on them. And I think they're going to make the playoffs this year after making the play-in tournament and winning two play-in games to make it into Western Conference playoffs as the eighth seed. So at number 10, we have the Houston Rockets. I have them going 41-41. and 41. I do know that I'm very high on Utah and Houston. I know it's a hot take. I've already mentioned it now, and I know this could go completely south. But looking at them on paper, I think they're both underrated squads. Houston did add Ime Udoka as the head coach. They added Fred Van Vliet to a monster contract. I think he was an overpay, but he is a good scorer. And they also added Dylan Brooks, who helps him defensively and can help them shoot the ball from three a little bit better. And I love their young core. Ahmed Thompson, who they took fourth overall. He'll be a stud. Cam Whitmore, they took a 20th overall, probably the biggest steal in the NBA draft. He had two 20-point games in the preseason, and he averaged 19 points per game at the Summer League, leading all scorers. He was a Summer League MVP, averaging 19 points per game, five rebounds, two and a half steals, and two assists per game, a 44% shooting from the floor in six games played. And he probably needs to shoot a little bit better from three. He was 6 of 20 from three in the preseason. But I think he's got to keep your eye on the season. And they also have Jabari Smith Jr., Alperon Schengen, Jalen Green. They have so much young talent. So much young talent. And they also have Victor Oladipo, a nice veteran there, but he is hurt to start the season. And they also have a guy, Jay Sean Tate, who has averaged 11 points per game in the last three seasons. He's an underrated player on a deep in young squad that I think could make some noise in the West. At number 11, I have the Memphis Grizzlies at 40 and 42. Without John Morant for 25 games and without Steven Adams for the whole year, that's going to be tough for this Memphis Grizzlies team. A lot of their fate will be in the hands of Jaron Jackson Jr. and Marcus Smart Desmond Bain. Three good players, but without John Morant, their X-Factor and superstar, it's going to be tough for them to compete in the Western Conference. I really think that. And Brandon Clark is still recovering from a torn Achilles from March. It's going to be tough for them this season, especially at the beginning of the year without John Morant. If they're 12-13 and 13 without John Morant, I think they'd be in a good position. 
But I see them around 10 and 15, maybe 9 and 16, 10 and 15, 11 and 14 without John Morant to begin the season. Jaron Jackson Jr., though, with that being said, is an absolute stud. And I think he's going to be one of the best big men in the NBA for years to come, which we saw last season how great he was defensively in the paint. At number 12, I have the Dallas Mavericks at 39-43. Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving, two great stars in the same backcourt, but this team lacks a paint presence and lacks depth. Grant Williams is a good add to help them defensively, and he's another good role player. And they did add Duke rookie Derek Lively II to help them in the paint. He's their starting center. But I do think this team lacks some depth. Their bench is Seth Curry, Tim Hardaway Jr., and then Olivier Maxence Prosper, who was good in his college career at Marquette, averaged 12.5 points per game last season and 33% from three. But we saw last season that Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving didn't really work well together. And I think the same goes this season. I think they're going to have an underwhelming season this year in Dallas. Two very good players, which I think Kyrie Irving is one of the best talents in the NBA, but I don't think they really mesh well together. At number 13, we have the New Orleans Pelicans at 38-44. The biggest question around this team is can Zion Williamson stay healthy? If Zion can stay healthy for 65 games, I think they'll be a playoff team. But it's a hard thing to guarantee as he's only played 29 games over the last two seasons combined. The most games he's ever played in a season in his NBA career is 61, and that was in the 2020-2021 season. He can't stay healthy, and that's the problem with Zion. Great talent. If he can stay healthy, I see them as a playoff team. But you can't really guarantee that. They do have some good talent, though. Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, Jonas Valanciunas. Three good players there around Zion Williamson. They have a ton of size and scoring with those three guys. But I do think this team will have an underwhelming year. At number 14, I have the Portland Trailblazers at 24-58. The Blazers just traded away Damian Lillard, who was one of the best players in their franchise history. So it's obviously going to be a big and different change for them this season, considering they're entering a new era. But they've done pretty well for themselves in their trades this past summer. After trading away Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic, they turned it into DeAndre Ayton, Drew Holiday, Tumani Kamara, a first-round pick into first-round pick swaps. And then after that, they followed it up with trading Drew Holiday to the Celtics for Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, and two unprotected first-round picks. And that trade package that they just sent to the Celtics was nearly the exact trade package I said in the podcast right before the trade happened. And I said, without Robert Williams, that trade's not going to happen. And one thing with Robert Williams is that he can't really stay healthy. So I think for that Celtics team, I think it's a good trade. Considering Robert Williams can't stay healthy, and they also weren't really giving him too many minutes per game. It was like they were giving him training wheels on a nightly basis. He was on a minutes restriction just about every single night. And even with the minutes restrictions, he still got hurt. With that being said, though, a great athletic player. And for a Poland Trailblazers team that's not competing right now, not a bad player to add to your roster. There's not really expectations for them to make the playoffs. So it's not like you're going to have to gear up for him to have to play in the playoffs and you have to keep him on a minutes restriction all season long. But if you look at that Poland Trailblazers team, I think they have a nice young core. Shaden Chop, Anthony Simon, Scoot Henderson, DeAndre Ayton, Robert Williams. And they got some veterans in Jeremy Grant and Malcolm Brogdon, who I think they'll probably end up trading at some point. I think they'll move on from Brogdon. But I do like that young roster. Probably two or three years from now, we'll see them being a potential contender in the Western Conference. At 15, rounding out the West, we have the San Antonio Spurs at 23-59. They also started a new era, building around a different superstar, and that's Victor Wambanyama. And I don't think it's any coincidence that two declining franchises in two different sports that have had so much success over the last decade or so, but were declining over the last couple of years, just added the number one overall pick in their respective drafts. And that's Connor Bedard going to the Blackhawks and Victor Wambanyama going to the Spurs. I think it's probably a good signal 
that lotteries are rigged to some degree. If Chicago and San Antonio both decline, they both add the first overall pick and two of the best talents and two of the best prospects that those two respective sports have seen in years, to some degree, I think it's rigged. Wemby, a 7'3 Kevin Durant, I'd say, who's a better defensive player than Durant, and he's like a mix of a few other guys. Maybe like Paul George, I'd say. But he's also done just about a little bit of everything, I'd say, in his EuroLeague career. That's why it's really hard to really pinpoint one player for him. But I don't really think there's enough around Victor Womanyama this season to help them compete in the West. Which I like Devin Vassell. He's a solid player. Jeremy Sohan will be the starting point guard, which it's going to be a big starting lineup. And Kelly Johnson's solid as well. But I still think they're a couple years away from competing. I'm hoping Wemby can stay healthy because he's going to be a fun player to watch this whole season. He could use some muscle like some other big men have needed during their rookie year stepping into the NBA. But I do think the Spurs a couple years from now will be a team to watch out for. But I don't think this year is their year, which I don't really think many people have high expectations for them this season. Anyways, that will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one. I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.